Pelletero Pickle, episode 95. We are back from a summer hiatus. Uh, Chris and I have been zigzagging across the country, doing a bunch of events and just being around athletes, being around some different partners that we have. So we've been really busy. We, we tried to record multiple times. It just didn't work out with hotel rooms and flights and travel and whatnot. So really excited to be back. There's been a lot going on. Looking forward to getting into some stuff. Uh, but first, we have a special guest with us today, Anthony Granado. I'll let Chris intro in a second. Before he does that, a reminder, questions, topics, send it to pickle at pelletero.com or at Peltero Pickle on Twitter. Chris, I nailed that. You should be proud of me. It's not even in the notes. Let's uh, let's get you to introduce Anthony, who was a teammate of yours in the WBC 2013, but I'll let you take it from there. Go ahead. Good job, Bobby, on the uh, pickle at Peltero.com. Nice. I'm proud of you. You're, you're so Thank good you. at it now. Uh, yeah, so I'm excited to have uh, my man. He is uh, certainly... So we, with the guys that I played in the Can-Am League with, uh, which, you know, was quite a few over seven years, we've always made like all can, all-time Can-Am League teams. And, and I'm proud to let you know that you made the squad. So congrats um, on that. Your first team all-time Can-Am, uh, per Chris Colabello. Um, appreciate it. Yeah, so welcome to the show, man. You're on, uh, you're on the pickle with us, and we're excited to talk some shop for a bunch of other reasons, but born in Toronto, somehow came to America, JUCO first, you went to Skyline before VCU, right? Correct. And ended up at VCU, drafted by the Cubs. I don't remember what round, but I did pretty good because I'm not looking, I don't look at notes, I'm, I go raw dog. And then uh, ended up in Atlantic City in the Can-Am League, right? And then a few years in the Atlantic League and then before we knew it, we we're playing the European Cup in 2012 together as a, because now you're like a Italian Canadian American, right? Yep, I got three citizenships, man. You have three. You have actual citizenships. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah, I you do. You have three passports. How does that work? I do. Um, well, I mean, they don't. They don't force you to renounce your citizenship anywhere now when you when you get multiple. And um, my so I was I was born in Toronto. Um, my father and mother, well, my mother was born in Ireland. My father was born on, uh, on the plane over from Italy and it was during the war. So because my father was born in 55, my grandfather basically became an, a Canadian citizen in 57. So technically my father was an Italian citizen. Um, Are you saying like actually that, literally on the plane? Uh, well, not birthed on the plane, but okay. pregnant. I say that would be absolutely wild. <laughs> no, that's like when I say when I say my mom's still on the boat. She's never gotten yeah. off the boat. You know, no, like when I, they I say Pilly, just is. off the boat. But I was yeah, a very casually born on a plane, so I was just clarifying. Keep going. Sorry. We're, yeah, we're no, paisans. No. We're hand wavers, man. We we wave <laughs> hands. Just interpret the information. Read between the lines, bro. <laughs> um, so now you're in Canada. Yeah. Yep, and. uh you know, because of that, I was able to get my citizenship when I when I lived over in Italy and, and played over there. But uh, I grew up in Canada, lived there till I was 12, moved to the U.S. My father got a job opportunity here in California, uh, moved my family out here, and have pretty much been here ever since. 
Um, went to uh, Burlingham High School and junior college here at Skyline. Uh, and then got a scholarship to VCU from there. Ended up signing. Uh, I was a fifth-year senior because actually my freshman year, I went to a junior college in Sacramento to play football and baseball. Ended up getting hurt and then just coming back and just sticking with uh, baseball. So at VCU, I was a fifth-year senior, and I ended up signing as a free agent with the Cubs before the draft because there was this little window of time between – when the regionals ended and the draft where you had an opportunity to sign with whoever you wanted prior to the draft. Um, and at that point I was a senior, I knew I didn't really have much leverage as far as financially went. So um, we just, we were talking with a bunch of different teams and I ended up signing with the Cubs before the draft. Um, ended up playing with them for three years. When I got released, I got picked up by the Rockies. Uh, ended up playing with them for a year ended up getting injured, getting released. And then that's when I went to the Can-Am League and, and me and Chris uh, met and played against each other for a year and a half. And then I went to the Atlantic League and was there for two years and, and me and Chris played against each other there. And then uh, from there, I went over to Italy and was there for three years. And uh, like Chris said, we, we ran into each other again in uh, 2012 in the European Cup and then um, played on, the, uh, on their international team the subsequent years and then WCBC in 2013. So it was, uh, it was good to reconnect, man. Me and Chris, I always had a lot of respect for Chris. You know, as a, we, we got to know each other pretty good because we had mutual friends on teams we played and, and I uh, liked him as a person, but always had a lot of respect for him as a player. I mean, you could just every year, I mean, the guy just raked every year, just, you know, time and Don't time again, too didn't much. matter. Be careful. Be know? careful. Don't pump him up too much. <laughs> No, I mean, I, to stories. be honest with you, I, you know, com coming from affiliated ball into um, independent ball, you know, there's always some reservations to that as far as like, you know, who are, who are what are the kids going to be like that you're playing with? Um, what's the atmosphere going to be like? And to be honest, I, I loved it. You know, it was it was a big release for me from all of the rules and the structure and and things that kind of I felt like hindered me from really performing um, because I was, you know, I was a free agent and I wasn't a prospect and I wasn't a, a guy that was really on their mind. So I had to always be on my P's and Q's in every aspect I had to, to, uh, I only got to play, you know, one every third day and trying to go five for five with six home runs just so I show them I belong in the lineup. And it was a good release once I kind of got back to independent ball because there, it, it, I feel like it's a little bit more cutthroat in indie ball. Like if you don't perform, you're going to be gone, but they give you the freedom to, Hey, you do what you got to do to to perform. We're not going to sit here and put, say, Hey, you can't do this. You can't do that. We're going to let you go do you. And that's when I, I really thrived. And I got back to, to kind of playing the way that made me good as a player, which was competing and, and trying to win and not really worrying about personal advancement within a system. And so really that's where, you know, I started playing like myself again and started enjoying things. And again, with Chris, he was the same type of guy. He had never been in affiliated ball on that point. And in, in my mind, I was like, how is this guy here? Like <laughs> year after year after year, how is he not getting that opportunity? And then I was really happy for him when he did and was able to make the most of it. Cause I have a couple of other guys like Justin Christian, who was another guy that I grew up with who, who kind of went that same route. And uh, to see guys finally get that opportunity to make the most of it was, was awesome. Well, it's funny you mentioned that because, like, I – and I appreciate the kind words and I uh, mutual respect, obviously, because 
I always it, it it was very simple for me to see who the guys on the other teams were that I really had a ton of respect for and liked and 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 liked the way they went about it and I'm pretty sure if we took our all-time Can-Am League team, we'd go compete in the big leagues right now. And you're uh, front and center on that squad. You're going to be on it. I don't know where you're playing, but you're on it. So um, you could you could play, man. And um, I think we, we were – we connected – a lot through like discretionary time like after games being out like you're playing in atlantic yep. city not you know not to talk too much about the nightlife but you know and i think that's part of what you mentioned when you go from affiliated to to indie ball or or, or whatever vice versa like you really have to become a man you have to learn what makes you good and figure out how you fit within the game which i was I was almost blessed to get the opportunity to go indie ball first because I had to take that responsibility for myself if I want to stick around and instead of just, oh yeah, you're a high round draft pick, you hit 230, like cool, we're going to bump you up a level. And I, I like I had to earn it every time, you know, and I, I, I really, I watched you and respected you and there were a couple guys on the AC team, Joe Burke comes to mind obviously right away, where and you guys were always together and you just kind of drift to the people that are like-minded and then, you know, as much as you didn't get a chance to play in the big leagues, like in my mind, you're a big leaguer, dude. Like, you know, especially after we did what we did at the, at the WBC and represented for, for our, 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 our native country and um, certainly proved that we could perform at, uh, at the highest level. So, you know, as much as you said kind words about me, they, they come right back at you, my man. So. Well, well, I appreciate that. I mean, you know, it's, it's interesting because I talk with kids about it in my academy um, in regards to, you know, being a big leaguer and things like that. And, and, you know, me not being a guy that got to achieve that level that I had always wanted to be at. But at the same time, I really kind of boil it down to, you know, where my mindset is and, and what I really think about that. It's, I, I never really played the game for the fame or the, or the money. Um, I always played it because I wanted to compete against the best guys and, and be in the most challenging situations. And although, you know, I didn't get to play in the big leagues on, on a daily. I felt like I did get some experiences to compete against some of the best in the world. And, and I was able to handle my own. So for me, you know, I think that was part of the reason why when my career ended, um, it wasn't a bitter kind of end for me. I didn't turn it into, you know, oh, I got screwed over by this organization or that organization. You know, that, that never really was in my mind. I think anybody who's ever been in the minor leagues or even, even guys in the big leagues and, and you get released or you get cut or whatever it's easy to to turn around and point the finger and and you know say oh they screwed me over and this and that but at the end of the day it's business and you know it's not easy decisions on their end and um there's a million stories and everybody has theirs and so i just always looked at it as you know the game gave me a lot more than i gave it even though i didn't get to the the level and get to play there and, and do that as a career at that level it still gave me a tremendous amount of uh, opportunity and uh, knowledge and things that I can give back. And, and that to me is way more valuable than just getting to, to walk around and tell people yeah, I was in the big leagues. Like that never really mattered to me. I just wanted to compete against the best. And, and so, you know, I, I appreciate you saying that, but it was also just something that I just, you know, it is what it is, not in my control. It is what it, what it is. There's a lot of guys like me and, you know, as long as I can kind of pay it back and maybe I can help make a difference with a kid that was like me, make that opportunity happen for himself where, where it didn't for me, you know, that's, that's worth it to me. It's rewarding. So that's why I got into this, this field. 
Yeah, it's the pay it forward aspect of it for sure. I think that's that exists in all of us. I heard, uh, I heard uh, the fearless leader of New Balance Future Star Series, Jeremy Booth, say that my favorite thing I've ever heard him say. He said, "Baseball chooses us; we don't choose it." And there's a reason why we're all still in the game to this point, um, and and doing what we're doing, trying to impact the next generation of players. So, um, I have a, a personal question before we get into like topics and like what you're doing now and and why this is all kind of coming together. Sure. And it goes back to you as a player, and it's not necessarily personal. It's still baseball, but um, and I don't know if you even know this, but I we had talked about it, we touched on it. So I played with a, a guy that you kind of grew up with, Jeremiah AC, like same area, sure. and it was the same year that you had come to the Can-Am League, and I was I marveled at how you guys hit the ball the other way because I couldn't hit the ball the other way when I was young, and a lot of the swing characteristics that Bobby and I had talked about through the swing revolution or whatever you want to call it the more i look back on it now the more i they all those things resonated in the way you guys swung the bat and the way you moved and the way you were able to drive the ball the opposite field which i think is a characteristic that has to exist to be a great hitter so tell me a little bit about how you learned how to hit or learned how to swing and like what your your, your own personal like swing ideas were kind of growing up and, and coming up through high school college and pro ball yeah, so me and Jeremiah kind of, we came from the same field. I mean, we went to Sac City together, and then we both left after a year. He went to Consumers, I went to Skyline. Um, I met the hitting guy that I really learned a ton from. His name was John Quintel. And me and Jeremiah, we, we clicked right away when we were at Sac City. You know, we used to say brothers from other mothers because we were always together. Um, and when he went to Consumers, me and him talked and I was like, man, you should come, come to Skyline. Like we need to play together. Um, so we ended up coming down. I ended up leaving and going to VCU, but, but he came down, he learned from the same guy I did. And, uh, the guy that I learned from John Quintel, he played in the Yankees organization for like seven or eight seasons. Uh, he came up with, you know, Jorge Posada and, and these guys, um, he never made it to the big leagues, but I think triple a, and he was a catcher, so, you know, very thoughtful and, and knowledgeable about the game and, and understanding hitters and things like that. And in high school, I was always really fast and athletic. And so I didn't really know anything about hitting, like zero. Uh, it was just see ball, hit ball, and then run my ass off. Um, and when I got to, to Skyline, Quintel used to say to me, like, man, you're way too good of an athlete to – hit balls like weak and just beat them out or, you know, slap base hits. Like you need to drive the baseball. If you want to be a big leaguer, you need to be able to drive the baseball. You need to hit doubles that knock down the fence. And then every now and then hit one over it, but cause no one's going to pay you to, to hit a bunch of singles. Um, and so then he kind of took that concept and it really resonated with me, but I didn't really understand what that meant until he really started to show me about, you know, getting into a good power position at contact. And then he would talk to me about how when you're first learning it, it's better to be late than to be early because it forces you to stay connected through your swing. So I would always be trying to get to like this contact power position every single time. And because I, you know, wanted to be late, so to speak, naturally I would be driving the ball the right field more than anything else. And he used to say, before I want you to hit a ball off the left, I need you to be able to hit a double off the right field fence. So he just drilled that in me. 
And then he talked to me and, you know, just had me, would have me over for barbecues. And we just built, like we talked about, you know, before we got into this, the relationship I built with him allowed me to trust him and believe in completely everything he was saying. And we would have really in-depth conversations about how to compete. I mean, he knew I wanted to be a big leader and he knew that this was everything to me. So we would have really in-depth conversations and he would break things down to me as far as I would be able to take them. And one of the big things he always said that resonated with me was, it's easier to speed up than it is to slow down. So if you can drive a ball the right field and do that time and time and time and time again, when you need to speed up, it'll be a lot easier. But if you're a guy that's trying to catch stuff out in front all the time and you need to slow down to, to stay behind a baseball, it's gonna really be a difficult challenge. So I always, I learned that first and then he also talked to me about like, now it's time for you to understand what type of player you are. You're not a power guy. Yeah, you can hit a ball out. That's great. But you're not a power guy. You're not going to get paid to be an all or nothing guy. So who cares about pulling a ball to left field? You need to be able to spray balls in the gaps. And for me, learning how to go the other way, that always gave me more time in the box. So if I had more time, it released a lot of the the stress of getting beat or failing. And I always knew that I was quick enough and athletic enough that I could speed up and catch up out front if I wanted to. So that was kind of the, the mindset that led me to driving the ball the other way. And that's something that I preach to this day to most of my guys and then get them to understand that it's about building that foundation of being able to do that so that you can always go out to your strength of pulling to left field or whatever, if you're a lefty to right field, um, later down the line. That's awesome. Yeah, it was, it was great, man. I, 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 that's the type of stuff that I love about, you know, hitting in the game and, and all that is, you know, from an outsider's perspective and you watch it, there's, you can, you can see some simple things, you know, Oh, throw the ball, hit the ball, run the bases, catch the ball, throw the ball. But it's all the little nuances within that game that make it so much more fun and you can get into the weeds with it forever. It never goes away. I mean, you know, 41 and still learning things and, and taking different perspectives and getting in the weeds and all kinds of crazy stuff. So the, uh, the whole letting the ball travel, hit, hit a double off the right field wall first. Uh, Chris and I talk a lot about the whole swing revolution and the launch angle BS. If you say launch angle swing, it's like, you don't know what you're talking about, but Anyway, <clears throat> it's crazy to me how all of that, the new age hitting has turned into, oh, catch the ball out front, damage is out front. It's like, all right, you're doing exactly what the pitcher wants you to do if you do that. You're you're setting yourself up for failure, and it, it's just, it's it, it pisses me off, to be honest. It's annoying, and it pisses me off, and you can, we love hit tracks, but you can set up hit tracks, and even Mike with hit tracks, he's like, oh, yeah, if you hit it out front, you hit the ball further. It's like, yeah. But you're also going to make know. out some games. You're going to make out some games, and it's a question I would always ask kids that are, that, you know, they they want to chase numbers, they want to hit it harder. I'm like, do you want to do you want to perform better in practice, or do you want to perform better in games? It's a very simple question. Where do you want to perform? Because with social media, like baseball has like this whole CrossFit feel to it, where the practice is now the game. People want clout. They want to you know post a video with a cool number. Like you got to perform the game. The game is what, as we say, the game is a test. And it's just very refreshing to hear that that was ingrained in you early and that you're 
continuing to, to push that messaging because more people need to hear it. It's, you know, people talk a lot about old school, new school, and it's like, what is going to work in a game? What, <laughs> how are you going to perform when it actually matters? It's crazy. It's, it's really about, it's about building margin for error. And that was the, my favorite thing that you said about that, right? Like, you know, you train yourself to be late. And I think like, I get, I completely understand what you're saying, right? Now, a lot of young hitters misinterpret that as like they're late getting ready, right? They they're late prepare like I so I tell all I tell guys all the time like get ready for the hardest fastball you have to face, which if we just went by, you know, physics, the up and in fastball is the is the toughest pitch to hit in terms of time, right? At least the least yeah. amount of time. The it's the one that gives you the least amount of time, therefore the hardest. But now when you go to deliver from release to contact that's just from release to contact least time the pitcher still got to get ready correct keep going so then but these are the layers we're talking about right where it's hitting is a conversation hitting is a lifestyle hitting is a dialogue it can't like you don't learn how to hit overnight and to your point like in high school like see ball hit ball just swing and i'm fascinated by young players when they they go through scuffles or whatever slumps that they want to call them and because they don't like they don't have plans they don't they don't try to execute certain things and but again the idea is like get ready for the hardest pitch you're going to face but then deliver your swing in the back part of the zone and, and like allow yourself to be late because it's what will give you the best opportunity even when you mess up right like even when you mess up if i'm late with my bear and that was what changed my career, right? I went from when we were playing against each other in the Can-Am League, I was the guy that pulled everything. And I could tell, like, there were gaping holes in my swing, gaping holes in my strike zone, gaping holes in, in how I had to think about hitting breaking balls and soft stuff. And then all of a sudden, I learned how to deliver the bat properly, more the way you were, and added some pieces to it where Bobby was very detailed in, in his explanations to me about how we move the bat, how we create velocity and things like that. And then it just allowed me to start to drive the ball right center field. And with my levers and my strength and whatever you want to call it, it started turning into like, it, it's easier for me to hit a homer to right field now than it is to hit a homer to the pull side if I take BP. It's crazy. Like I hit balls harder over there, which, you know, call it what you will. And there are times where I got frustrated that I, I'd get a ball in and not be able to clear it out. But in the long run, it made me a better hitter. We just there was a seven part documentary on a guy that played for the Yankees. He's pretty good. The captain, you know, and that's all he ever did. And so I, I was like, that's how you have sustained success at a high level. When you understand how to hit, you understand how to, how to mess up and still be okay. I think. Yeah. I mean, I just, again, I think it goes back to really boiling it down to, to simply understanding the fact that, we talk about baseball and hitting as it being like the hardest thing to do because, you know, three out of 10 and you're, you're, uh, you know, hall of famer and all that kind of stuff. And if you really think about that, what is that telling you is, is how are you preparing for that 70% of the time? You know, that's happening way more yet. We're preparing a hundred percent of our time for that 30%. And in doing that, you're losing the opportunity to compete in that 70%. And that's the part of it that I just can't wrap my head around. Um, and I talk to my college guys about it a little bit differently, but, but as I'm building younger players up, I want them to think about their safety net, right? Like what's going to keep you, uh, keep you in the game and keep you productive for your team and keep you being a guy that's an impact player. Well, it's 
are you good when you're bad? Are you good in that 70% of the time? Because that's the majority of the time. So like the party out front stuff, I, I get it. I like it. I, I'm not saying don't ever do it, but I think maybe that should be your focus 30% of the time. <laughs> and 70% of the time should be, well, what am I doing here to make sure that I'm the toughest out possible? So I have a real simple saying that I use with, and I use it more with my college guys because they really get the concept. But I talk to them about, first and foremost, when you get to a level where pitchers mix consistently, right? College, they do more than they, they do in high school. Professional baseball, depending, you know, they usually do it more than they do at the college level. So for me, if I get a guy that mixes, then what gives me the best opportunity to be on time and drive most of the pitches that he throws? Well, for me, it's like you said, be ready for the fastest pitch you're going to see and have to react to and drive that ball. If you're righty, drive it down the right field line, because then if you do that in your visual, you'll be able to catch everything that's slower out in front. And now you're literally covering all of his pitches. Right. So it gives you the opportunity to do so much more where if you have to cheat to that pitch out in front, now you're eliminating anything that isn't that pitch. So now you're giving yourself a far less chance of actually being successful in the, in the moment. And they have to live in that world way more than they have to live in the world where they're like, okay, it's a three, one pitch. He doesn't want to walk me. I'm going to cheat to a middle end fastball here. Right. So, I mean, that's something that's really, really big. And, and I think to, you know, with the swing revolution, I think it's really, um, it's really unfortunately taking players out of an understanding of what hitting is versus swinging. It's like, I can stick anybody in a box and have them swing a bat. That doesn't make them a hitter. You know, they, they got to learn what that really means and, and embrace it. And, and I think the reason why the swing revolution has gotten so big is because there's really not a lot of people out there that have hit at a high level or gone through the process of being a hitter for years and years and years and years. And there's so many things in order to do that, that happen in here that you can't quantify. And so it's easier to express physical movements and things that you can quantify and then put visually out in front of somebody to make sense of it where you know, a thought process and what I say to myself to make me a good hitter versus another guy, it, it's hard to relay that to somebody and they might not understand it even when you do vocalize it in a way that's simple, right? So yeah, I just, I'm a, I'm a big believer in that. And that's something that is at the core of me and what I always felt like allowed me to continue to play for a long time was that I was never super exceptional on the, uh, 30% side, I was always good, but on the 70% side, I was always very good. I was a tough out. I mean, that was always something that I, that uh, pitchers, I always got the respect of them as like, I did not like facing you because you always made it tough for me to get you out. Yeah. You know, they weren't worried about me going up and ending a ball game, <laughs> but they were That's definitely, did, you know, didn't want me to be the guy to start the route. Yeah. There's a really good video of Adrian Gonzalez talking about that. It floats around YouTube. It surfaces on social media every once in a while. But he talks about being deep in the zone with a fastball and then just continuing it. And he'll be on time for whatever the pitch is based on 
like establishing his timing in the right place. So that's yep. really good. The uh, I have a theory. We're doing a, a bit of a study. I don't want to get too much into it yet, but uh, I have a theory that we're going to be able to measure this and test it that I think good hitters are probably early. They trend to be early with less than two strikes and they trend to be late with two strikes. Absolutely. So understanding like I know when I can take my chances and yeah, the part, yeah, damage is out front, but it's, it's being calculated about it and having strategy and approach, not just, I'm going to try to let it eat every single time because then the pitcher will pick you apart and you, you just, you're creating holes and timing with that. And it's paying attention to it and being able to communicate that is not always easy. I think, numbers it's in the, in the lesson environment because you, you have an academy so in the in the lesson environment it's easier to say hey look your your exit velo went up you got better today and that's the perception it's just same with throwing the the velocity situation that's happening in the game is crazy and it makes sense i think from a pitching standpoint having higher velocity gives the hitter less time we obviously need location and ability to pitch off of it because at a certain level guys can hit any velocity but the number, like, yeah, you, you went from throwing 82 to 86. You're a better pitcher now. That's, I think, a perception. And I think what a lot of kids want when they go into a training environment, they want the number to go up, and they think that means they're better. And it's really hard. It's hard to fight against that because in some regards it's true. Some kids do need to learn how to swing the bat faster, and most of the time the biggest benefit is going to be from the weight room, not from swinging a bat, and that's a whole different element to it but uh trying to fight against the the mindset from the players and parents like i need my kid to throw harder or i need them to hit the ball harder to get an opportunity at the next level and there's this huge perception of that you know that's what they're that's what they how they measure success is with a higher number as opposed to yeah. uh becoming a better hitter because it's so much harder to define what a good hitter is it's sure. something you know, and I, that was actually kind of where I wanted to go next with you coaching at the JUCO level now. You have an academy. Obviously, uh, we're both involved with the New Balance Future Star Series. So you're around a lot of hitters. You're assessing. You're, you're viewing through the eyes of somebody that has to make decisions. What are the things that you look for? Like if you're watching a hitter, what are the things that stand out to you when you're making those decisions? Um. So there, I mean, I kind of try to compartmentalize things and, and, and do it in a, in a few different ways. So, I, you know, again, for me, the biggest thing that I see and that I look for in a hitter is really how do they, what is their presence in the box? What is their presence when they step up, up to the plate, whether it's batting practice, they're in a cage, they're in a game. I, I want to see how they carry themselves because I feel like it tells you a lot about where they are mentally. Um, and when you know where a player is mentally, I feel like it's easier to kind of project where they're going to be physically and, and how they're going to perform. Uh, so I really look at how, what their presence is like in the box. Can I feel it? You know, when I, when I throw a pitch to them, I, I'll throw a lot of times when I'm doing BP with guys, I'll throw balls on purpose because I want to see how they take the pitch. I want to see if they, you know, look anxious or over overexcited to try to hit it, or if they're really just calm and relaxed and confident that if you throw it in this area, I'm going to do damage. So I look at that uh, first and foremost, and then 
From there, I will look at their swing and I will look for a couple of basic things. You know, I, for me, I want to see if a kid's swing looks the same again and again and again. You know, I want to see the consistency. And I know that at a young age, most of them aren't consistent. Um, and they, they, they try different things, they do different things, and, and that's just part of learning. But I look for the things that they might not even know that they're doing consistently that I see as like that's a staple for them or that's part of their, their movement. That's part of what they do. Um, and then I try to figure out if that part of their movement is detrimental or a comfort zone or a necessity for them as a hitter in terms of their swing. So I try to look at it in those two parts. Um, and then once I get a feel for those things, I usually, if I, you know, it depends on the different circumstance, right? So the future star series type stuff, you know, these kids are coming from all over. I'm with them maybe for a weekend. Um, some of them I'll get to see, you know, at multiple events, which is good. And if I'm working with them, the first thing I want to do is kind of get to know them and how they think and how they work even just on a, you know, a regular basis, you know, I'll walk up to them and I'll introduce myself to them or I'll call them over and I'll just see how they respond. So a good example is um, when I was just out in Louisiana a couple of months ago, there was a kid who I really liked. He actually kind of reminded me of Jeter. He, he just long, lanky, um, could do a lot of things really solidly and, and had some attributes, but was still kind of giraffe and growing into his body. And he was out in the outfield shagging and I called him over because we were doing infield work. And when I called him over, he came up to me with this, like eyes were really big and was looking at me. And I was like, what's going on? Like, would you think I was going to yell at you or something? And he was like, well, I don't know. Are you? And I, and I was like, why would you think that? And so that right away just told me something about maybe the way he's been coached or his insecurities or kind of where he was in that moment. Is he going to absorb the things that I'm taking because he's in a defensive mindset, right? So then I started talking to him and I wanted to get him to a relaxed mindset because then I feel like I could really understand how he approaches what he does. And I do the same thing with hitters. If I'm doing a lesson, I treat it very different than if I'm talking to a team um, or I'm, you know, I'm talking to a young kid. I'm really big on building a foundation of confidence. Like that has to happen first. The belief that, look, once you've done it once, you could do it again. And then the goal is, can we do it again and again and again and again and again? And, and when these challenges get thrown at us, we don't second guess our ability to make the adjustment. We need to, to do it again with a new challenge. So, um, you know, I know that's kind of a long-winded answer, but it's, it, it's not so cut and dry with me. I think there's a tendency for a lot of people to look at the swing first. And for me, there, that's last, to be honest. I have an acronym that I use, um, I, it, the ATM. So I say, you know, when you need to get money, right? For, and I use this a lot with college guys, right? Because they're trying to get scholarships and they're trying to get drafted. And I'm like, you know, you go to the ATM to get money, right? Or maybe that makes me a dinosaur because they probably use Venmo and things these days. But, <laughs> you know, you go to the ATM to get cash. Well, if you're trying to get money, you're trying to get paid, you go to the ATM. Well, use that same acronym to help you focus on how to make adjustments. A is your approach. T is your timing. M is your mechanics. You, you've got to make adjustments in that order because if you don't, it's going to break down in that order. If you don't have the approach, 
you're not going to be on time. If you're not going to be on time, your swing is going to break down. So where we focus all of this energy on the swing mechanics, maybe timing is the reason your mechanics aren't working right. And maybe your approach is the reason why your timing isn't right. So I really talk to guys about that. And I try to attack their understanding of hitting in that same order as well. I love that. I love the ATM acronym. I might steal that from you or borrow it. You got it, um, man. I was just, I was uh, meeting with the softball program a couple of days ago talking about the, the question that they asked me about mechanical stuff. And I was like, mo- honestly, most of the time, the, sometimes kids just have bad swings. That's, that is a thing. You can just have a bad swing. You're in bad positions. You're just not creating any leverage. You're what, a lot of things can go wrong in the swing from a mechanic standpoint. You can be leaning back. You can be lunging. Mechanical breakdowns, they happen. But if you have a reasonable swing, it's usually your timing that's causing the breakdown. And if your timing is bad, it's probably going back to your approach and how you're preparing for the game. And that could be at the professional level, having advanced scouting and there's a a hitters meeting before the game. And we're talking about what does this guy throw? How does he get people out? Or just in a high school game, just watching the guy warm up. And like, he does this with his glove. He does this with his glove. He does this. So he's telling you what pitches he throws. And then, I I mean, there's kids that don't know what pitches the guy throws after two innings of the game. And they still don't know. They're not paying attention. And they fail and they want to change their swing. It's like, dude, you don't even, you're not even paying attention to things that matter, but you want to change the thing that's probably last on the list of items you should be checking in on. So... I like that ATM. Get paid. That makes sense. Yes, I like sir. <laughs> I like it. Um, I wanted to to learn more about kind of your because you told the story earlier about playing in independent ball and, and rediscovering. We hear this a lot where guys go from affiliate ball to independent ball, and they rediscover their love for the game. They it's, they feel like they're part of a team again, as opposed to guys fighting against each other for jobs and having that accountability be put back on their shoulders versus player reports being filed and initiatives being pushed down your throat. What is the biggest difference from, I mean, you went from Juco to D1 to affiliated to Indie ball and then Italy. What, what are the things that were, that stood out to you, I guess, at the different levels that were the, pros and cons as you went through it like juco you would like there's a huge juco bandit <clears throat> eric sims on a twitter oh, yeah. crazy with the juco bandit <clears throat> it's probably helping you quite a bit because people you know looking back i wish i had even considered juco because it's cheaper more to play development more money available it's a whole different world and with the transfer portal i can't even imagine what's happening because the transfer situation is so crazy what <clears throat> as a player coming through it what were the pros and cons of each level that you went through and like what's, st- what stands out to you when you look back on it? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, the simplest way to put it, I think is, is, is that it is steps, you know, and unfortunately a lot of players want to jump steps. They want to skip steps. And I just, I think that you get a lot more out of it when you don't skip steps because you learning nuanced things along the way that, are helping build a stronger, more fundamental foundation. You know, the stronger your foundation is, I feel like the longer you have a chance to last. 
in anything that you do, right? So when I look at, you know, my journey, it, it's, it, it wasn't a, you know, a pretty journey. You know, it wasn't something that most people want to go through, but it was a necessity for me. And it's a necessity for most kids. And to be honest, why most kids don't succeed because they don't have things to fall back on. They, they, they haven't learned how to deal with failure. And I think, to be honest, so I don't want to jump forward, but from high school to junior college, that was the biggest jump in my career by far, not even close. And a lot of it was just because, you know, in high school, I really didn't learn a ton about myself in the game. I just played and I was a really good athlete and I lived in my athleticism and I had a great high school coach that allowed me to be me and um, taught me, you know, things about the game itself, but really didn't worry too much about me and, and it helped alleviate a lot of the selfishness I think that can, can you can get wrapped up in baseball um, but it's chaos high school's chaos right like you're not only playing a couple of days a week um, you know you got your girlfriends or your family your friends like there's all, all these things you're trying to juggle at the same time you're going through these hormonal changes where you're trying to find your way in the world you know there's there's no balance there's no structure there's no uh, sustainability as far as that preparing you for competing at a really high level so then i go from there to junior college and now all of a sudden it's a business because it is college right i'm expected to be in the weight room every morning at, at 5 30 and then i'm going to school till noon and then i got practice from 12 30 till you know five or six and then you know 14 or 16 inning games on saturdays and and doing that for the first time i was just like you know and i'm not living at home i was living in sacramento at the time so i got a do my own grocery shopping, cook my own meals, do, you know, do my own laundry, all of it. I mean, just being able to do that and then still having to perform at a high level was like, whoa. I mean, it was like running into a wall of, oh, this is not the same anymore. And granted, it was at a level where everybody else is going through that too for the first time. So you do get a lot of, of rope in that situation because a lot of the kids are in the same spot you are. And so I think it also builds good camaraderie because like Jermiah who we brought up earlier, like that was a big thing that bonded us together is, you know, we're going through this together and we could feed off each other. Me and him played the same position, you know? So to think that a lot of times you play the same position, you're competing, you don't like that dude, but me and him looked at it like, man, we're in an uphill battle. There are guys that have been here for a year. There's 220 guys at tryouts. Like, let's help each other get to that spot. And then when we get there, it's, you know, may the best man win. We're, we're cool with that. And so junior college really helped build that foundation of work and balancing and controlling the structure of your life and taking accountability and responsibility for everything else that comes along with it. So then when I did that, when I went to VCU, it was easy, to be honest. Now the competition was better as far as in the game. You know, we're, we're facing more 90 mile an hour arms. I mean, our, our pitching staff in our conference was crazy. I mean, Justin Verlander, um, Chris Ray, um, you know, guys like that, Clay Meredith, Sean Marshall, Justin Orenduff. I mean, the pitching was ridiculous. And then, the, you know, obviously the hitters, you're, you're dealing with grown men, guys that are, you know, 
20, 19, 18, 20 years old. They're bigger, they're more physical than junior college. Um, so the competition side of it got a little bit better, but all the other stuff was easy. And it made it so much easier for me to step up my level of competition because I already had a grasp of all that other stuff. And so my attention could be directed in, in the right place. And so it didn't feel like that big of a jump. Going to affiliated ball, again, my first year, it was awesome. Um, I signed as a free agent. I went to short season. I did really well. I made the all-star team for short season. They moved me up to, to A ball. And, you know, I got plugged in right away and, and was playing every day and, you know, went through some struggles. But competition-wise, I felt like, man, there's some, there's some really talented guys here that are, like, freakishly good. But majority of them are, are just like me who – were, you know, ball players who had talent and, you know, this is what they wanted to do for their career. So again, that wasn't a huge jump. Um, what really changed in affiliated ball for me was the next year was going into spring training and being an afterthought because my first year in affiliated ball, I played every day. I made the all-star team. I had, you know, uh, rovers and people talking to me and telling me like, man, you just need, you need just to keep playing you know, you could be a big leaguer, like you, you defensively, like you've got it. And offensively, like you've got the tenacity, you've got the work ethic, you just need reps, you need to learn. Like I had guys saying that stuff to me. So I, in my mind, I'm like, man, I'm on the fast track. And then I go to my first spring training and I'm in AAA in spring training, you know, next to Casey McGee and Ryan Terrio and Brandon Singh and, and, and all these guys who are big prospects in the Cubs organization. And I'm thinking like, oh my God, I'm in AAA. I'm not knowing how it really works, you know? And then trickle down effect and it was double A and high A and then last day back to short season. Um, and then ended up getting moved to high A and or not short season, low A. Ended up getting moved to high A and, and being there as a guy that was playing once every five days. I was a fifth infielder. And it was because there were guys there with an investment, you know, which that's the business. But I was never privy to that and I never had to worry about that so that was the first time I ever really got shocked and, and dealt with the business aspect of it which was very challenging for me because I was always about competition like I don't care who you stick in front of me if they're better they're better but I'm not going to stop until I am better or I earn my spot and I just never got that opportunity that second year and it was just emotionally physically mentally draining um to the point where, you know, uh, Chris Walker, who I know Chris knows, um, he was my roommate for two years and me and him created a bond. He was a really, really good player, fast center fielder, you know, had the record for stolen bags in the Midwest league. So like 63 bases it was crazy. Um, but you know, he would come in and talk to me every day cause he's in the lineup every day and, and we're roommates and I, and I, and I couldn't crack it. You know, I remember getting a, they gave me a weekend, and told me like, okay, I think you can win this job. And I said, I know I can win the job, but I got to play. I can't win it from the bench. So if you give me a couple of days in a row to play, then, then I'll do what I do and then I'll go from there. And I got it and I did really, really well. Um, and they got calls from the higher ups. So-and-so has got to play. That's just the way it works. And that was just devastating to me. And that was a huge gut check for me. Um, and then made me rethink like, really, what am I doing? Like, what do I really even have a shot at this? Um, and it kind of, that was the first time doubt really kind of came into my mind, which made it challenging for me. 
Um, but then I was like, you know what? Who cares? I'm here. It is what it is. This is what I wanted to do. I'm not going to quit. You know, if I overcome this, it's going to make me better, so on and so forth. So I just pushed through, um, ended up, they sent me back to low A, ended up doing really good finishing the season there, won an award in the organization. Um, and then the next year went to spring training. It was kind of the same thing. I was an afterthought. And then they, uh, they released me the, the last day. Um, and so I went home and was home for a couple of weeks and just like beside myself, like, I don't know what am I going to do? Like, this is terrible. I, you know, I want another shot. Rockies called me. They gave me a shot. I was excited. Um, you know, went great, but I ended up getting injured, uh, got released. And, uh, when I got injured, I was about a month and a half into the season. I was playing every day. I was doing really well. Tulo got moved up to the big league. So I was supposed to go to double a, take his spot. Didn't happen because I got injured and I basically spent three or four months just rehabbing and being at the field every day. Like, and I'd never done anything like that. So that was another kind of gut check of like, I'm going to come to the field every day. I'm going to grind. I'm going to do all this stuff to, to try to get back. And I'm not going to be rewarded with playing time uh, because I can't play. And so I tried to rush back a couple of times, re-injure myself. And, you know, it was just, it was a good learning experience there, but it was, it was tough, man. And I wasn't happy. Um, so then when I got released, when I went to Atlantic city, it was a huge weight off my shoulder. Um, I connected with Joe Burke, um, who Chris mentioned right away because he had just gotten released by the Yankees. Um, we ended up being roommates and he was a grinder just like me. And so, you know, we, we just kind of did different things, you know, like nightlife stuff. Like I'm not, I was never a huge partier in terms of like, I like to go out because it was a way for me to get my mind away from the game. My mind was always in the game. So after the game, you know, you get this adrenaline rush where, you know, you're, you're playing until 10 o'clock at night and you got this adrenaline rush and you start to come down probably around midnight, you know, but my mind is still going. And I'm thinking about, you know, in the game, how I could have done better or, you know, what do I, what do I need to work on tomorrow when I go to the field or whatever. So that's where you end up staying up till two, three in the morning. And uh, I didn't want to do it staying in my you know, apartment or in the hotel room, just kind of laying there and thinking I like to get around my teammates and build bonds with them. And, you know, again, it was just kind of reinforcing we're all going through the same thing and it made it, you know, it made it fun and it made us embrace that struggle a little bit more. And so that's, that's where, you know, the kind of fun came back out uh, and the love for the game came back out because I was back on a team. We had a, a common goal of like, let's go win this championship. Um, yeah, you know, guys would get released, new teammates would come in, um, just like pro ball or affiliated ball, but it still was, hey, our goal is this. You know, it was interesting to see when guys came in from affiliated ball or, you know, that came in with the, the thought like, man, this is, this, this is shit because it's not affiliated ball and they would get eaten alive. And I saw it all the time. And it, and it take a lot of humbleness for them to be like, man, this is, this is different. This is good baseball. And, and I always go back to, it was just a, a, a perfect blend of that love for the game and it being a profession, which it's really hard to do that in affiliated ball 
when the majority of the guys there are fillers for those prospects. So that was kind of my journey. And those were the, the trials and tribulations and the things that I felt like were pros and cons to each level. Um, and that's something that I feel like is, you know, gives me an opportunity to kind of share that with players that think about these things that they want going forward. I could sit here and listen to this stuff forever and ever. Like it's, cause it's the stuff that matters, man. It's the stuff that makes a difference. And, you know, you mentioned, like you mentioned new experiences in affiliated ball, like being hurt or not being on the lineup. And <clears throat> those are the things that I think young players, one of the things I've started saying to younger players that, and I don't know how much it resonates, right? That's the challenge that the more, it's like the more you know, the less you know, right? Where I think I have this formula in my head and I'm like, okay, this is simple, right? And I tell these guys, if you just face down problems as problems and don't worry about the details of them and know that you're gonna face down problems, they should be easier to handle, right? Like getting hurt is a problem. Not being in a lineup is a problem. You know, your girlfriend breaks up with you, it's a problem. And what happens is we get attached to the emotions and the details that are, are tied to them, as opposed to just saying, no, like, I know I'm gonna face a challenge. Like, let's just figure out the best ways to deal with this challenge, right? Like, let's just figure out the best ways to, to really encounter this and then fix it, right? Or make it better. And it's weird how when you go to a place like Indie Ball after, and you, you mentioned the fun came back out, you're able to perform so much better because the, the, like, the emphasis and the focus goes back to like your core principles, like let's win, let's surround ourselves with people that are like-minded. And then what happens is the guys that don't fit that protocol weed themselves out. They just, they get weeded out, right? Like, in, mm -hmm. you know, like it, you're either with us or you're against us. So when you get in the right indie ball environment, it's, it's unbelievable. And I think it, it bodes like a ton of success. I learned a lot from it. Not to say that I was more prepared for the going to the big leagues and not being in the lineup or playing once every five days and having to face, you know, Chris Sale or somebody's ace or whatever it is. But um, certainly it's something that later on in my life, I, I started to appreciate more. Yeah, and I think, you know, I'm, I'm curious to see down the road within the next like five years, how, you know, obviously there's a lot more independent leagues with the draft being um, shorter, shorter rounds and all that. I'm curious to see what happens with independent ball guys that get that opportunity to come into affiliated ball after being in independent ball. Cause I kind of look at it from the perspective of, you know, maybe not for everybody, but I think for the, for the core foundational group of guys, they need that introduction into pro ball, kind of like junior college, right? Like there can be an opportunity there to build a professional foundation for yourself. Um, that might better prepare you when you get into affiliated ball rather than going right to affiliated ball where, you know, there's just so many different things that you have to try to figure out at the same time when the, the focus ends up being distracted to like, how am I going to move and get to the level I'm trying to get to, you know? Yeah. So um, I'm, I'm, I'll be curious to see how that, how that all pans out. When it comes down to it, it's all people's perception in their mind of how things are supposed to go. And if you get too attached to what you believe is supposed to happen, I, I've told this story probably on the show before, but it's, I watched the, the Tom Brady um, uh, man in the arena and my favorite part of the whole thing, and I love Brady, obviously 
Tom, anybody that knows me knows I, I revere Tom. Uh, NorCal guy, by the way. Um, yep. But like he tells the story of the Chinese farmer and it's it's the story of maybe the episode is like all revolves around it and it's the Chinese farmer has a, a horse and his horse runs away and everybody in town comes over and says oh my god I can't believe your horse ran away and he's like they're, they're like it's so bad and he's yeah maybe and then the next day the horse comes back he's got 10 wild horses with him and like oh my god your horse came back with 10 new horses and they're like that's so great and he goes maybe and and the next day, his son's trying to tame one of the wild horses, gets bucked off, breaks his leg. Oh, my God. And he broke his leg. So bad. Maybe. Well, we don't know. Like, we don't know what we don't know. And we're always trying to figure out how something on the surface affects our life. And But all those experiences prepare us for the next moment. So if we can just have a little bit more perspective when we're young and and we're dealing with the, the difficulties of the game of baseball and, and the stresses of trying to be a – a point one percenter, it, it becomes that much easier to manage. And you know, I don't know that there's a perfect formula, but you know, in a perfect world, we could we could pass these messages along a lot quicker, and people could deal with them better. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree. I I'm gonna I tell people all the time in this game, you've got to be an obscene optimist all the time. You you have to be able to look at the positives in every situation to keep pushing forward and to keep believing that you're going to be better on the other side, um, no matter what it is, you know, um, one of the, you know, that kind of, I think more along the lines of like Rizzo, you know, when me and you played with him, getting to know him was mind blowing to me because at the time he was like 20, I want to say he was like 23 years old. And I couldn't believe as a 23 year old, how, confident and calm and mature and just easygoing he was and how he just played the game like a kid like obviously we were able to do that but you know we'd been doing it for a long time you know and i'd gone through a lot of stuff that allowed me to kind of let go and i looked at you know the wbc i was like dude this is icing on the cake for me i get to relax and just have fun with these guys like this is great i get to be around these these guys but at that age you know, being a guy that went through everything that he went through and coming out and having that outlook, it made so much sense to me because I didn't know his story prior to meeting him. And then when I got to know him and I knew his story, I was like, oh, this makes so much sense. Like he is a perfect like example of going through some really crazy stuff that you that could have turned for, you know, the worst. But look how he came through it. You know, yeah. and obviously that's an ultimate positive uh, example of it. And not everybody is going to go through that and come out the way that he did. But that was just something that I always admired about him is how he it really. It, he really was a humble guy and really just embraced and loved the fact that he got to do this. And, yeah. you know, being around guys like us that were in the same mindset was, you know, it was fun. And that's, yeah. that's what these kids need to learn. It's like the struggle's fun. If you recognize that everybody else around you is struggling too, you yeah. know, that's you how you get your shit together. That. That's how you get yeah. your shit together by recognizing that everybody else has problems too. I'm like, dude, everybody got problems, man. It's just like, we all have them. All our, all our worst problems are the same, right? Cause in perspective in our mind is like, if somebody's worst problem is like the tire in their Bugatti gets, a hole in it like that's their worst problem and they're like oh my god and 
they don't have the perspective to realize, well, you know, this kid at 19 years old battled cancer or this young kid in Ethiopia doesn't have food on his table or doesn't have parents and doesn't have a home. And that that perspective is what allows you, I think, to just be like, hey, it's okay. Like, I'm going to be all right. And it's it's just really hard to have perspective when you're attached to your own your own bullshit you know like you're you're just you got to get away from it and and surround yourself with people that have had other experiences to allow you to say hey that's maybe it's not so bad for sure yeah well i think uh we've taken up too much of your time today but unless bobby's got more things i want to wrap with two things that just happened recently in the little league world i want to get some perspective Mm -hmm. just some recency things here Two situations. Number one, kid gets drilled in the head, and then he goes and hugs the pitcher. I want to get some thoughts on that. And then number two, Washington, Oregon. I think Washington is going to the Little League World Series in Williamsport based on a – have you seen the video? Have you guys seen it? No. Foul ball. Ball hit down the left field line. The left field line ump goes like this, calls time. Home plate umpire called it fair. Continued to play. Nobody did anything. The fielder stopped because the guy went like this and said foul ball. Run scores. They review it. Run counts. They get. They advance to the World Series based on that. Uh, I, I might have to share the video with you guys if you haven't seen it yet because it's. It is one of the worst things I've ever seen in baseball. This is like game on the line. Wow. Winning runs scored because the umpire called time and the defense didn't get the ball. Well, watching that game live, I, I missed that foul. part. Called foul. It was, I mean, yeah, it was the last play of the game. Then they reviewed it and they didn't overturn it. Classic. Oh, so he just, called it foul or he called time? The, he called it foul. I said time. That was my mistake. Uh, so okay. he threw his hand. He the umpire put his hands up, like right in front of the third third baseman, right in, front, in the third baseman just like kind of turned around and went back to go for the next pitch. Yeah. And the the third base coach is like, let's go, let's go, let's go. Scores the run, they go crazy, the fans are going crazy, they review it, and they just didn't overturn it. The funny part is that the umpire, after he had his hands up in the air and called it foul, he went to then like just the got out of the way to like watch the runner make sure he touched third. Oh, my God. <laughs> Listen, at the end of the day, in situations like this, and I, the, the get hit in the head thing, as a competitor, I want to say, like, no, run down at first and maybe throw one at their guy too, but... It's my my experience with that is uh, Stephen Wright hit me in the head, and then I had a bottle of Johnny Blue in my locker a couple of days later. You could see how bad he felt. Like if you know if if there's empathy and you you see the player on the other side really beat up about it, you want to let them know that you're okay. And I think that's that's the cool stuff about the Little League World Series where you get to see like the the human side, you know, like the the, the respect side. Yeah, that's yeah, what it is. I, I, personally would never go hug the pitcher i would give him like a head nod or head like nod yeah. maybe a thumbs up like dude you're fine but my basic approach is your your emotions aren't my problem like go go figure your, your stuff out well you're an unemotional cat you don't have oh, a vowel oh, on the end yeah. of your last name like me ag <laughs> oh man I go, you got if i'm down i go take my base and like i'm still mad at you i'm not i'm not gonna go make you feel better because you just hit me in the head <laughs> Deal with your emotions. Get over it. That's what. I, that's yeah, I, I mean, it was a good it's, moment, but I'm over it. I, I mean, my to be honest, my opinion of the the kid getting hit in the head. Um, I I thought it was great that he went and hugged him. To be honest, um, now the reason why I thought it was great is because 
that's what that kid felt like he wanted to do to show the kid on the mound, like, Hey man, I'm good. And you don't have to worry about it. And you know, for me, I, I boil that down to like, that is being a competitor because at the end of the day, as a competitor off the field or in non baseball related situations, we can be boys. We can hang out. We can, we can be friends. We could, you know, be at each other's kids, birthday parties, all that stuff on the field. I'm trying to beat you. And I think in that moment was a non-baseball moment. I think it was an emotional moment where the kid thought, man, I could have ended this kid's opportunity. I could have ended this kid's, you know, life. Who knows what, what was going through that kid's head. Um, so to see that kind of humility, you know, it, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't bother me at all. I, I like that. You know, I think that in that circumstance and in, and the ways that it are handled, I think is uh, I think is good. I think when it comes to the respect of the game, I think it's if it's nobody's hurt or you know there wasn't anything that was uh, you know jarring, then yeah, you don't you don't need to go to that extent. You know, yeah. um, I think I think I like what you said about the authenticity, man. If it's what you feel, right? Like yeah. as long as it's authentic, like yeah, don't force things. Don't like just be authentic, and that. Full circle. That's what I think indie ball allowed me to do: is be authentic, be true to ourselves. Like we had to learn how to be true to ourselves, so that we could, uh, you know, we could survive and exist well in the, in the game. On um, and we're are they going to start calling this the Northwest Screw Job? By the way, in Little League, the is that? <laughs> I just I just sent the link if you want to watch. This, yeah, this I just I watched it on Twitter. It's uh, I do like the, well, the 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 saying that the kid was doing what he felt he needed to do and it's not a baseball thing i i agree with that i wouldn't one i i get it the authenticity factor is big for me too because it's funny because i do this thing with my kids in in my program my 13 and 14 after every practice or even like tryouts these kids will get in a line and want to come shake my hand and i tell them i don't need your handshake like I, i appreciate that you guys are being respectful but you give me a handshake by busting your butt on the field. That's all the handshake I need. Like you guys are nice kids. You're, you're getting in a uniform line to shake my hand because probably your parents said, Hey, that's a respectful thing to do. That's the right way to go about it. I want you guys to understand that this is always going to be a real interaction. You don't have to do this because you're, you know, you feel like if you don't, it's a sign of disrespect for me. It's not. Just like when guys call me coach, I say, when they say, hey, coach, I say, yeah, player, what's up? And they go, look at me funny. And I'm like, you don't have to call me coach. You can, but call me my name and I'm going to call you your name because it's a respect thing. And it's like, I, you don't have to go above and beyond to show me that you respect me. I, I could see that you respect me by the way you go about your work. So the authenticity awesome. factor is big for me. Um, as far as that one play, man, like for me, your umpire's job is your job is to control the game. If you screw up, you better stop the game and fix it and make it right. That's, that's ultimate. That's my ultimate opinion. Uh, it's funny because I think about a time, there's a, a time where I was playing in the Atlantic league and I'll never forget it. I was hitting and a guy clearly threw a ball. Like it was clearly a ball and the umpire called it a ball, but he gestured like it was a strike. So I didn't look back. I didn't track the ball back to the glove. I just kind of took it. I heard ball, and then I stepped out of the box, and I stretched. And then 
uh, the pitcher asked what the count was and the umpire said it. And I turned around and looked at him and was like, what, wait, what? No, it should be two, one. You just called it a ball. And he was like, I know, but everybody in the stand saw me go strike. That's what he said. And I said, I don't care what they said. Like you said it was a ball. It was clearly a ball. Like fix that. And he struggled fixing it. And see, to me, it's like, well, then that's the, that's the purpose of an umpire. So something like that happens where the umpire calls foul and he's the one that that's his call and the guy stopped playing. Sorry, you need to, you know, it's like a, a pitcher can't, or a player can't cause a balk, right? It's the same yep. thing. A, a, an it umpire up. shouldn't, shouldn't cause yep. a game, you know? Clean, so, it, clean it up. Those are, those are my opinions on those. <laughs> well, it's a good way to, good segue to the end. So, dude, you're awesome, man. I uh, I love chatting with you. I wish we lived closer to each other so we could see each other and talk to each other more. But uh, in due time, we get to hang more now. Um, you know, obviously, yeah. anybody that uh, in the NorCal area, I don't think there's a, a, a better guy that I'd want to play for. No offense to anybody else, but, man, Gabe Prep Baseball, lucky to have you, man. The, the baseball is lucky to have you and, and, and what you do for the game. And those college kids, I think, certainly are uh, – are learning a lot of the right lessons so i appreciate awesome. it man i know i know you and bobby are doing things the right way and thanks for having me on and uh you know enjoy building the relationship with you bobby and obviously continuing our relationship chris and yeah man i uh, look forward to getting you guys out here and and uh venturing this way and seeing what norcal has to offer and i'll be seeing you guys soon thanks for having me on it's been fun sounds, sounds good buddy on that note pickle out <laughs>